Good morning and welcome to Sunlight Christian Center, located in downtown Orange. Let's join Pastor Joe and the worship service in progress. If, if I were to, to ask you, could you handle success? You might say, of course, Pastor Joe, send it on. I'll take care of that. But what I would be asking you is this. Could you handle the trouble that success will bring? That's another story. Because if you are successful in whatever field you may be successful in, there will trouble come. And how to handle it will determine whether or not you can handle success. In the 17th chapter of 1 Samuel, David comes into the camp where his brothers are in the army and they are fighting the Philistines. And while he's in the camp, Goliath comes rumbling out and in his booming voice defies the armies of Israel and mocks God. David listens to it and he is wondering why nobody is volunteering. Eventually he says, I'll go myself and fight Goliath. And you know the story. He goes out there and gives Goliath a piece of the rock. He goes down. He takes Goliath's sword and cuts his head off. And instantaneously, he steps out of obscurity into the national limelight. And he is now a success. The bands are playing. The flags are waving. The people are cheering. And he has got success that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. This is what the Bible tells us that happened after that. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Now David was going to be a member of the king's court and he'd be living in a palace. So he went from a shepherd boy to a nobleman in the king's palace. That's success. And Saul set him over the men of war, gave him a title made him a military leader. He was accepted in the sight of all the people, now had access and favor and titles and all of the trappings that come along with success. There he is, David, who once was unknown and now he is well known by everyone. And this is what the Bible says David did with his success. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. If there's one thing we need to learn how to do is to behave wisely. David knew that being successful meant there were possibilities of problems coming his way. By the way, let me just as an off, uh, uh, off the record say this. It is a good idea to behave wisely, whether it is success that you're dealing with or failure, whether you are happy or sad, whether you are up or down, acting wisely is smart. It's so easy to act foolish. You don't need to go to school to learn how to do a foolish thing. You have to really learn to think and to watch other people and learn from their mistakes and your own as to how to act wisely. So David is dealing wisely. Now just, just remember this, just because you are acting wisely in some area does not mean that other people will act wisely. And there are times when even though you are acting wisely, there are other people that have another agenda and they may be foolish in what they're doing. Now it happened. In the scripture, whenever you come to the phrase, now it happened, it means that something good is about to happen or something bad is about to happen. Now it happened as they were coming home. The king, David, 
and his royal entourage traveled the country in a, in a victory celebration, and they are on their way home when it happened. The woman had come out of all of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul. It's important to understand that they came out to meet King Saul. And this is what happened. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now right away you should see that there's a problem here. The women, I'm sure, meant well, but they definitely had no wisdom. Because now they are publicly insulting the king by making a comparison. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Actually, the record should show simply this. David killed a lion and a bear and Goliath. And they are crediting him with ten thousand. I'm sure that Saul killed a lot more people in, in his time of, uh, as a leader. But the, the point was made and it was made clearly. Sometimes you wonder to yourself, didn't somebody tell them that you're insulting the king? Didn't somebody come up with the idea that maybe this is going a little too far? If there ever was a time when you are looking at no diplomacy, it is this time. Sometimes we've got to be really careful how we, we speak and what we say because it's so easy to hurt somebody and not even mean it. I don't think that the women intended maliciously to hurt either King Saul or David. But the net result is what started off as a victory celebration turned into shambles. They insulted the king and he ended up hurting David as well. Sometimes we just simply need some wisdom. Lord, give me some wisdom to say what needs to be said, but to say it in a way that will be honoring to you. I, I read one time about a man, he lost his job because he told his boss he had, he had holes in his head. Is that a surprise? That same guy could have told his boss, boss, you're open-minded and everything would have been fine. Sometimes it just matter the what you say and the how you say it. Here are women who unintentionally insulted the king. They created a problem. And what they did is what so many people often do and don't realize they're doing it. They create comparisons. They compare King Saul to David. And they draw these comparisons. And the Bible tells us this. Paul says, it's not wise to compare yourselves with yourselves. When you start comparing yourself with somebody else, you are creating the groundwork for envy and jealousy. In fact, the only thing that we ever should compare ourselves to is ourselves. Compare ourselves. I will be better today than I was last week. I will be better this week than I was last week. By God's help, I will be better next year than I am this year. Compare yourself to yourself. You've got a standard to work with, and you have a place where you can judge improvement. But when we go around comparing ourselves with others, what we're doing is creating problems. Can you imagine somebody? Now, St. Paul was a great man of God, traveled around, and many people were saved. He established churches everywhere he went. And John Mark was his assistant. Can you imagine somebody going up to John Mark and saying, John? Paul has saved his 10,000s, but you, just a handful. In miracles, you get a D. 
In prison breaks, you get zero. And angelic visitations, you got none. What does that accomplish? What, uh, what does it accomplish to compare John Mark to the Apostle Paul? All you've done is hurt John Mark and you make the Apostle Paul, Paul feel uncomfortable. I would never want anybody to compare me with any other minister. I mentioned this in the first service. I said, don't ever compare me to another, another pastor. And I said, I, there's two reasons. I, I need to give you two reasons why you should never compare your pastor to any other pastor. Number one. You ready for reason number one? Here's number one. If you compare me to another pastor, I will come up on the short end of the stick. Now, the second point is like unto the first. If you compare me with another pastor, I will come up on the short end of the stick. There you got it. It's not a good idea to make comparisons because all it does is it creates problems. It creates hurt feelings. It creates insult. Parents do this with children. Why aren't you as smart as the genius down the block? What good did that do? To infer to our children that they're not smart as, as smart as, as quick as, as bright as, as fast as, to some other child is only to cripple the very child that you say you love and create jealousy at the same time. It, it, it's, it's foolish for a wife to compare her husband to some other husband. It's foolish for a husband to compare his wife to desperate housewives. It's very foolish. What do you get out of it? I mean, you're sitting down and you're watching The Bachelorette and you're saying something to your wife up in a comparison. And what do you think you were going to get out of that comparison? Nothing but grief. And so there are things that we just shouldn't go to. And here, if it were possible for me to go back in time, I would like to stop and tell the women, don't do what you're about to do. Because all you're going to do is hurt somebody. They came out because they wanted to extol David. Obviously, they wanted to extol them and they did it in the worst possible way because when they got through the king is angry and what do you think he's going to do with his anger he is going to become envious it says so Saul eyed David from that day forward the evil eye the green eye of envy in fact, he says in his passage, he says, what else is there left for David to take but the whole kingdom? The, 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 the wound was placed and Saul is hurt and angry. Now, what I'd like to do is I'd like to talk about what to do, what happens when jealousy comes your way, when envy is in you. There's, this is the easiest part. What do you do if you find jealousy or envy if you are coveting somebody or something and jealousy is driving those feelings there is one way to kill jealousy to kill it if not mortally wounded and that's by learning how to be content content with what you've got content with who you are content with where you're going if we can learn how to be content there is no room for jealousy. In fact, it is impossible, it is impossible to be jealous and to be thankful at the same time. If you are thankful, you can't be jealous. If you are jealous, you will not be thankful. They are mutually exclusive. And so if jealousy is in you, if envy is in you, 
The way to deal with it is to learn how to be content. I will learn how to be content with whatever state I am in, Paul writes. I'm going to learn to make do with what I've got. I'm going to learn to take the cards that God has handed me and I will play them to the very end. It's an attitude, an attitude. That attitude will keep us from falling into the trap of becoming jealous. And so let me share this with you. The human body is designed in such a way that it will always tend to maintain a balance. It's something about us that needs to stay in balance. Your body temperature is 98.6. If you go out and it's really cold, your body temperature will keep staying 98.6. If you go out into a place like Baghdad where it's 117 degrees, your body will still fight to keep and maintain a temperature 98.6. The body is designed to maintain balance. And when it maintains balance, you have a feeling, a feeling you feel better. You feel good. God gave you about 3,000 taste buds in your tongue. Why do you think he put them in there? He put them in there so that when you eat your food, you feel good. He's given us all things to enjoy, the Bible says. And so we have taste buds, and so we are hungry. We sit down to a dinner. After we get through eating, we feel satisfied. Your body feels good. When you get tired, you go to sleep. When you go to sleep, you wake up, you feel refreshed because your body is designed to give you that sense of well-being. In fact, if I were just to give you a little quick example, if you held your breath, I'm not asking you to do it, I'll do mine. I'm going to hold my breath. (laughs) You feel so good when you take that breath in. Why? Because your body is designed to feel good. And it will fight to keep you feeling good. But in order to maintain jealousy, you have to ugly up your disposition. And you have to learn how to feel bad. Because jealousy and envy is a bad feeling. If you're going to be jealous of somebody, if you're going to be envious of something that somebody else has, if you're going to be covetous of something that somebody owns, you, you have got to maintain bad feelings. You've got to, you've got to feel, feel bad because it's feeling bad that fuels the continuation of jealousy. Does that make any sense? That's crazy. Why would anybody spend time feeling bad and then maintaining bad feelings so they continue to be envious and jealous? That is, and that's why sin is insane. That's why Jesus went to Calvary, because they don't know what they're doing. And so he's come to bring us salvation and he's come to, to bring us freedom and he's come to bring us liberty. Because we, if we are left by ourselves, we do some crazy things. So in order to maintain envy, you got to you got to be bad and you got to stay bad and you got to keep making yourself feel bad. And we got to learn how to do something. Here's what the scripture says about Saul. It happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul. Distressing spirit. First of all, the fact that he had a distressing spirit is not a surprise because if you get angry, it is a stress on your body. If you become jealous, it will leave you and a depressed spirit. But the thing that got me in this passage, and it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul. And somebody's going to look at that and say, well, God wouldn't do that. And I'm going to say, well, you're too late. He did. It's done. 
Why would God do that? There's a principle in scripture that goes somewhat like this. If you decide that you're going to ugly up your disposition, and if you decide you're going to get angry, and if you decide you're going to be nasty, and if you decide you're going to be ornery, then at some point God will give you up to your own decision and he will allow you to find even more things to get ugly about and more things to be angry about and more things to be afraid about and more things to be upset about and it just it just like almost seems like if you if you make a decision in your mind that you're going to be angry at somebody it's not too long after that you discover that you got even more reasons to be angry you wake up in the morning and and there's another reason why I'm angry at that person and then you meet that other person and the way he combs his hair bothers me and the tone of his voice bothers me so once you decide once you decide something happens it trips a switch and you find yourself even more involved in the problem here's and it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit Saul began by being angry and now God gives him up to his own problem and this 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 distressing spirit comes upon Saul and David is is brought in to play music and he did so in the past and whenever he played music this depressed spirit of Saul would be lifted and he would feel better but I want you to take a look at this David is playing a musical instrument with his hands he's plucking on the guitar but Saul's hands are on a spear why would Saul be holding a spear while David is holding an instrument to minister to him to bless him to encourage him to lift his depressed spirit Saul is holding a spear in his hand but you got to know where it is that Saul is Saul is in his palace Saul is surrounded by a loyal guard Saul is as secure as he possibly can be. So why is his hand holding on to a spear? Because when you become angry and you become envious, everything becomes a threat. You could be securely safe and even invulnerable, but the fact that you're angry and you're envious means that you will find a threat where no threat exists. That's why we need to be able to do something with envy because it will kill us. It will start to eat away and will start to move into our life and start to reduce our life until finally all we have is one fine focus and it's bad. Saul is holding on to a spear and yet he's wearing armor the best armor that money could buy the most secure man in all of the kingdom protected from everything except envy could it be that you have protection from everything i mean you got automobile insurance and great liability that's good check you got medical coverage and you're taken care of check you got a retirement plan, check. You got a savings account, check. 
You got all of the insurance that you need, including nuclear fallout and ingrown toenail. Check, check. You got everything. And yet you could be totally vulnerable to an emotional upset that you have no coverage for. Protected for everything, but not against anger and not against jealousy and not against envy. The Bible says, put on the whole armor of God. We're told to put on the whole armor of God, not because we're going to go out there and have a battle with somebody in the streets. It's a metaphor. Because the battle that we are going to fight is, is, as the Bible even says, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This is a different kind of battle. It's a battle that is internally fought. It's the attack, the attack that the enemy makes of a mind. There's a battle going on in our mind. And so we put on the full armor of God so that we can handle ourselves when emotional upset comes, when we are attacked internally by the evil one. We can be so protected and at the same time so unprotected that the enemy who's roaring around us like a lion comes in, just taps on the shoulder, and down we go. All he does is, is just wiggle some little trinket before us, and, and there we go. I wonder how secure your emotions are if they are being protected. And when the Bible says, put on the whole armor of God, the, the, the emphasis is you put it on. It's not the preacher's job to put on the armor for you. It's not your Sunday school teacher's job to put your armor on. It's not even God's job to put your armor on. You, when Paul writes, it, that you put on the armor of God. What is it? It's the word. You put on God's word because the word will protect you. If you have the word of God, it will protect you from those assaults that will come your way. Because even though you act wisely, there are other people who will not act wisely. And you become a target and here we have David, who is a target. And, and, and this is what Saul says. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. And this is the part that gets me. I'm reading this story, and, and Saul is jealous of David because of what the women were singing. And David is ministering to him. He's got his hand on his spear. It finally flames in his face and he picks up a spear and he flings it at David and David escapes. It says, but David escaped his presence how many times? Twice. And I said, oh. I said, I know a lot about me and I know me. And I would tell you that if I were David, it would have only said once. Because there would not have been a second time. Not if I knew where the exit was. I wouldn't plan on coming back. And yet David is a man of courage and a man of faith. And he submitted to a king who had evil intentions against him. You've got to admire this man. David did some weird things in his life, but you've got to know that he did some things that were awe-inspiring. This, this person had a lot of trust in God. He goes back to King Saul plays his instrument again and the king again flings a spear at David trying to, to kill him and David's hand is on instrument to minister to him that's one of the problems of jealousy when it's coming against you when you become the object of jealousy you're doing a good thing but the good thing that you're doing is actually minimized and the person who is jealous of you doesn't even give you credit for the good that you're doing and so you need to learn some tactics. Well, how do you learn how 
What do you learn when people are jealous of you? How do you handle that? I I will tell you a couple of practical things that's just top of my head, okay? Things I would not even plan to talk to you about, but I'll just tell you about them. The first thing you want to do is make sure if the person, for instance, if a person is jealous of your car, don't take them in your car for a ride. If they're jealous of your home, don't invite them to your home so they can become even more jealous. I mean, that's basic. It's a good idea that when you happen to be in the presence of that person that you, you don't build yourself up in any way because that's the problem to begin with. And so you depreciate yourself and you have a tendency of, uh, of downplaying whatever it is that you've been blessed with. You don't put it in their face. I mean, these are just common, ordinary things. And, and, and besides what I just told you that I think is real practical, David learned how to duck and run. Sometimes the only thing you can do is duck and run. Lord, give me good reflexes. Lord, help me. Sometimes, you know what? Sometimes we're praying. We're praying. It's kind of a problem. I'm make believe I'm David. I said, Lord, I went in there once. And then I went in there twice. And he flung that spear at me twice. Do something. Kill him. Get rid of him. Eliminate him. Paralyze him. Blunt the spear, had do something, and God did none of that. He did none of all he did. Listen, all he did is he gave David the reflexes to duck. Oh, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. He gave David the reflexes to duck and run, but behind the scenes, God was doing something that you may not be aware of. And the way to find that out is you got to go to the first verse of the 18th chapter, where this is what we read. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. That's amazing. God went right into the king's home, pulled out the king's son, the one who was next in line, to rule, the one who should have been envious, the one who should have been jealous of David, God took the king's own son to protect David. I thought about what a friend we have in Jesus, the king's son. And I could take all of my griefs and my sadness and my hurt and all of the misunderstandings and all of the evil intentions and I bring them to the King's Son. Sometimes we dismiss the fact that because we cannot see Jesus, we dismiss him from the equation and we don't realize that standing somewhere in the shadows is Jesus. You've been listening to Pastor Joe at Sunlight Christian Center.